Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dax Shepard. I'm joined by the Duchess of Duluth. Oh, I love that that's going to catch on. Mm. Oh, I'm excited. The Duchess of Duluth. Mm. Took me one half millisecond to remember Duluth. Good job. I don't associate... Milford. God bless you. I don't associate a D with your town. It's really the D. Once I get the D, boom, Duluth. Oh, my God. You know what's amazing? What? D for Duluth and Dax... M for, for Milford Mono. and Monica. Oh my God! Ding 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 ding. <laughs> Today we have a really wonderful guest. Incredibly, Juliana Margulies. Juliana Margulies is an Emmy, Golden Globe, and Screen Actors Guild Award-winning actress. You met and fell in love with her on ER. The love affair continued on The Good Wife. That's right. Very popular, very successful show, very trusted brand. She has a new book, an autobiography, Sunshine Girl, An Unexpected Life, filled with intimate stories and revelatory moments. Sunshine Girl is at once unflinchingly honest and perceptive. It is a riveting self-portrait of a woman whose resilience in the face of turmoil will leave readers intrigued and inspired. We were inspired by Juliana. She's one of those actresses. She's like a Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Like she's mm-hmm. And Kristen, she's an acting robot. She's perfect every time. She's perfect. And she's pretty gangster, too. Yeah, she's She's made fun. some bold decisions that we talk about. Yes, 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 So yes. please enjoy Juliana Margulies. We are supported by Sleep Number. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Well, because a good night's rest helps boost immunity, improve recovery, and increase energy. You have a lot of energy today. Is it because of your sleep number? I didn't wake up till nine, which is crazy. That's nice. But I have been shooting all day in a very, very high adrenaline situation. And I came back and I just died for nine hours. My sleep IQ score is 96. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Dang. Yep. And of course, my sleep number is 84. Oh, so consistent. Means my body's in good shape. People who get enough sleep have more energy, as you just noticed, better muscle mass, I hope you notice, and improve muscle memory. Good quality sleep positively affects emotional well-being, a greater sense of calm, happiness, and balance. Now, during the second half of the night, rapid eye movement is dominant, taking care of the brain, which includes improved problem-solving, creativity, and memory skills. Also, deep sleep decreases anxiety overnight by reorganizing connections in the brain. Discover proven quality sleep. Save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed during the Memorial Day sale. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash DAX. He's an Hi. Oh, my God. I mean, there's so many things I need to tell you. (laughs) Please tell them all to me. (laughs) First of all, you were the first podcast I ever experienced. In your whole life? Yeah, I didn't listen to any of them until the lockdown. What one did you start with? I feel like I have gone through this entire period of pandemic with Dax Shepard. Like, literally, oh, wow. I watered my garden listening to Bill Gates. Okay. Uh, Monica has become, <laughs> like, the soothing voice I want to hear. Also, I'm embarrassed, but literally, I just came back from the eye doctor, and I was listening to you guys with Prince Harry, and I was like, wow, he had the balls to talk about the calendar. 
Like, like <laughs> I'm so Im- impressed on so many levels. I can't even tell you. But yeah, so oh I had never God. listened to podcasts. I never had time. People kept saying, you know, podcast this and whatever. And there I was in the kitchen every night, like cooking by myself. And I was like, I want company. I need to hear human voices. Yeah. And you guys were the first I downloaded. And I have to tell you, you really kept me company. So thank you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think it's great for you guys to understand something because, you know, you're in your studio doing your thing, right? And I went on six mile walks through cow fields with you guys. I, (laughs) I planted my first garden with you guys. I would cook meals listening to you guys. Like, so my husband's from Michigan. Oh, get out. No, yeah. From Ann Arbor. Oh, dad must have taught at U of M or something. He was the head of the poli-sci department. Yeah, because your father-in-law is a brainiac, right? Yeah. I married up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Him and and my husband both. And my father. Like, they all went to Dartmouth. They're all Dartmouth people. My dad, my uncle, his dad, his grandfather, him, his brother. Do you have a fear that your son will soon be like an intellectual tower and you'll be like, oh my gosh. He already is. Oh, he already is. (laughs) He's like, he goes, no real such thing as the present, mom. And I go, because, and he goes, because it just passed. Oh, wow. I got you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We should put that on a t-shirt. And my dad and my husband both were Dartmouth philosophy majors and i just looked at keith over the dinner table and i went and there you go <laughs> uh-huh okay great so you married your dad right oh, dear that's, God, what, no. that's the goal i didn't i didn't it just happened that way they couldn't be more different well they're similar okay. in their intellectual paths but they're but they're thank god very different <laughs> I married my mom. It doesn't seem like it on the surface, but then if I really look at it, they're carbon copies separated by. You're right. I probably married my. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Here we go. We're five minutes in and we're already having breakthroughs. I wanted in on that conversation (laughs) with Harry so much. The amount of therapy that was going on in that (laughs) podcast was just beyond. Then I kept going, that's Prince Harry. Like I know. They're talking it's crazy. It's scary, you guys. <laughs> Are you right now chewing tobacco? You don't need to tell everyone that. Yeah, you do. Yes, yeah, I'm in a do. bad spell. I had never met a tobacco chewer until I married a Dartmouth guy. One of his <laughs> fraternity brothers came to my house. I threw my then boyfriend, now husband, a surprise birthday dinner. And I was like, don't tell him. It's going to be a big surprise. And, and there was Adam Dixon. I will never forget it. And he walked in with a spittoon. Sure, sure. Well, you got to travel with one. He spit all through dinner. Oh, it's all through dinner. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, I don't ju- wow, I, eating and uh, yeah. dipping. That's you know, and tricky. like each course I made that whatever. And I was like, that's so sexy, Adam. So sexy. Okay. Okay. For the record, I do not do it at the dinner table. I right. mean, not during. Well, you not do it at the dinner table. Just during not cards. While eating. Yeah, not during an active meal. But by the way, I need to tell you, I'm not judging at all. Okay. okay. Uh, judge not, lest ye be judged. I am not judging. I just find it. Listen, it's better than. It's disgusting. Honey, it's better than crack. So you go. Just That's hardly. True. Just hardly. Yeah, it's objectively the grossest habit you could have. Okay. And I'm going to tell you what I told my eight year old who monitors this like every day, all day, right? I've been on a real long stretch, six weeks in a row of traveling. I'm home for two days a week, and then I'm back out in some desert filming this car show. And as grateful as I am for it, it's also very uncomfortable, and I'm lonely, and I want to be home. And everyone else can have a couple cocktails at night. I can't. And I told my daughter, like, I'm going to chew tobacco till this thing's over. 
and I do quit a ton. I will give myself but that damn credit. straight. I think but yes, it's, it's disgusting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think you got to do what you got to do to survive. In my worst moments, I've convinced myself that some people might even find it attractive because you're almost, here's what it signals to me. Like if you dipped, I want to be honest, Kristen dipped for a year. She did? Which would shock people. Yes, oh my God, she now I love her even more. Thank you. So <laughs> if I saw a gal dipping, this is what I would get subconsciously. I'd be like, oh, she doesn't give a fuck. Like that's objectively unattractive. What I'm doing is unattractive. But there's some subtext to that's like, well, this person's so confident. They're not afraid to be openly unattractive. And I think I might get attracted to it. Right. Does that I make get sense? It. I understand that. Yeah. Us yeah. human beings, we're all such complicated people, aren't we? Oh, it's so silly. Monica and I always talk about the aliens above us watching the monkeys. And so oh, so much of the stuff we do just doesn't make any sense to I them. I know. I know. <laughs> so how was quarantine? You guys have been married for the same amount of time Chris and I have been together, but I presume you dated prior to the 14 years of marriage. So we've been married 13 and a half years, and we've been together 14 and a half. Okay. So we're on a similar timeline. Yeah. How was the one-year quarantine together? And don't lie to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm so uninterested okay. in lying. That was in my 20s and 30s. <laughs> mm -hmm. For survival. Yeah, I have to say, and I know it's going to sound gross, I literally married a rock. I married uh, just mm. the most stable human being who looks at all sides before he reacts, who always oh, wow. finds the good in people. There's not a mean bone in mm. his body. Not that he's a pushover. Oh, wow. I mean, and what he does for a living is so sexy to me now. He does analytical intelligence. Oh. Ooh. Yeah. He was pretty much glued to the desk the entire time because their business blew up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically two guys from MI6 started this company called Hacklet about 15 years ago. And Keith, they vetted him for nine months before they hired him. And he just found his stride. So I didn't see him most of the day, to be honest with you. He was always... Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, which got tricky at times. He came home from work on March 11th and said, let's pack our bags and go upstate. Oh, wow. He was that ahead of it. Last year. Yeah, because they have to, they're dealing with global everything. Sure. And I said, really? For her, like, how? He goes, I don't know. Let's pack for two weeks. And we felt very grateful that we have this house in upstate New York. And we did. And we stayed there for eight months. Oh, wow. I didn't see him a lot. There were moments. I had some meltdowns just because he's so in his head. And I would be like, it's been six months and you have walked by the laundry basket and it's oh, overflowing. Yeah. And you never once said, babe, I'm going to do the laundry. Like not once. Yeah. And yeah. I would have those yeah. moments of just, because I was the one going to the grocery store. I was the one I cook. He doesn't cook. Like, I just felt like I was doing everything. Plus I was finishing a book and I was recording a documentary for PBS and I'm computer illiterate completely. So I was mm. like downloading one line at a time because I, <laughs> <laughs> and he got the master bedroom which is like my sanctuary oh so, yeah yeah there was some stuff there were moments yeah. but here's the other podcast i started listening to was esther perel do you guys know her oh mm, man yeah she's incredible impossible so i would go off on these crazy six mile walks because that's what kept my head clear listening to either you guys mm. each one is about an hour so it would take me about an hour 45 or whatever and I would listen to her with these couples and I would go running home and just throw the door open and throw my arms around his neck and go, oh my God, we're so lucky. 
Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. If you listen to, is it Mating in Captivity? Yeah. Where she goes through the infidelity. Oh my yeah, God. Oh my God. It's oh my so God. fascinating. But you're right. It could inadvertently give you a lot of gratitude for the relationship you have. Yes. You can't help but compare. And you up compare as a human, but it's healthy. Like there's this great book, Broken Ladder, and it talks about how our country is unique in that we up compare all the time. But there are countries and cultures that down compare. So they're living in a state of gratitude most time. Right. It's so true. Yeah. I mean- I do have to say, I don't know if it's that I met Keith at the right time in my life or that I've outgrown my insecurities that I used to have. And I write about this actually in my book where I say I was with a guy where I was always looking and comparing other people in the restaurant and wanting to be at their table. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know them and thought that they had a better life than me. Yeah. And now with Keith, like from the first date we had, I don't just don't want to ever be at anyone's table except the one I'm at. Oh, my God. That's what a beautiful thing to say. Yeah. <sighs> Hold on, though. Now I'm wondering, because I'm, I'm of the opinion generally, like, anyone who thinks any relationship is going to be easy is just foolish. They're all a beatdown. But maybe not. Yeah. So I always thought relationships had to be difficult, which is why I was always in <laughs> difficult relationships. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's another version. There's another version. <laughs> Sorry, but there is. Well, so so he early on, really early on. So Keith's six years younger than I am. Early on, when our baby was about eight months old, I had a major meltdown because I had cooked him this huge dinner with all his friends, and I knew I'd be up at five with the baby. I wanted to give him a night to himself, whatever. And the next morning, after I'd cleaned everything and I'd taken care of the baby, he came downstairs in his robe, and I handed the baby to him, and I said. I need one hour to myself. Uh (laughs) And he said, sure, babe, of course. And he took the baby and I got my Sunday times and I went out on the porch with my bowl of cereal and I just wanted to read the paper and eat my cereal in peace. And within five minutes, there was a baby tugging at my nightgown. And I was, (laughs) and I looked back and Keith's in the living room, legs crossed with the newspaper open. (laughs) And his cup of coffee. And I lost it. Lost it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I literally walked out of the house in my pajamas and just kept walking. Thank God we live in the boondocks and no one's really around. I literally just walked for hours, sobbing. And mm-hmm. I came back and he was white as a ghost with the baby. He's like holding, holding the baby. And he said to me, honey, I'm so sorry I need you to know I never, ever wake up in the morning thinking, how can I fuck up Juliana's day? Uh-huh. Ever. It's the last thing on my mind. Mm. I fucked up. I'm. Please forgive me. It will never happen again. And it was like that moment where my brain clicked and I went, why would I think that he would want to fuck up my day? Because I've been in relationships. Mm. Yeah. The history of my relationships, I always felt like, Someone was trying to fuck up my day. Yeah, yeah. And when he said it so plainly and I could see his face had just fallen, I really truly believed it. And it is true. And the last thing he wants to do is upset me. But it took me a long time to believe it. Yeah. Oh, man. I had such a similar thing early on with Kristen, which is she comes from a family that loves to do each other favors. And I come from a family that's like, Everyone's overloaded. Don't be a drain on anyone. That's how you show people you love them. You're independent. 
we'd both be sitting on the couch and she'd go, hun, could you grab me a glass of water? And I'm like, I'm not closer to the fucking sink than you are. Like, what are you talking about? It was insane to me. And I did have to get to the point where I was like, oh, yeah, she is a good human being. She's not out to get me. Like I had to decide she wasn't out to get me or exploit me or have leverage over me. But it's so crazy. But yeah, I think I had come from a background where I just assumed everyone was trying to basically exploit me. But Right. And now you have to change your narrative Mm -hmm. because that's not the family you live with anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm already seeing a pattern in you. And I like this, which is you don't really care if people are flawed as long as they own it. And then they make an amends, right? Because you have kind of a powerful story about your father that's very similar. And your response to him, I thought, was gracious and lovely. You have a very weird childhood, weird in quotes, in that you moved around a ton, right? Your parents got divorced at some point, and you moved to Paris. You also moved to, hold on, it's in my head, England, Sussex. And sometimes- Sussex. Duke of Sussex. Do you think that was why you might have been particularly interested in Prince Harry because of the Sussex? Always. Okay. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Okay, so what age does the, like, stable nuclear married parents pretty much set in one area of New York, when does that explode? What age? A year old. Oh, a year old. So right out of the gates. Yes. Oh. Right out of the gate. So my parents separated when I was a year old. Okay. And um, my father moved to Paris to work for an advertising company. And we were in Spring Valley, New York, where I was born, where they had moved to. And then a year after he lived in Paris, my mother moved me and my sisters. She was like, I'm not going to stay in the suburbs while he's in Paris. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so we, we lived on the left bank with my mom and my father lived on the right bank. And we shuttled back and forth across the Seine. And then two years later, my dad moved to London to open up the Wellsridge Green Advertising Office in London. And my mother at that point was very deep into trying to figure out who she was because she had always been a ballerina. Mm -hmm. But now she was 35. And so she went to study Eurythmy in Sussex at a college called Emerson College. And there was a Steiner school there where the three we would of us call it Waldorf school. is the more popular name for this? Waldorf education. God, yeah. there's so many things yeah. I want to know. In a nutshell, you love Waldorf. You would say that's a great place to send your kids or not? Every time I hear about it, I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. And then I don't know if... there. I think it's great for early childhood development. There's a lot of ideology that I do believe in, which is eye-hand coordination before you learn mm-hmm. to read certain things to get to understand color and texture and things that are visceral because that is what a child sees. Mm -hmm. And too soon we try to make children intellectual before they're ready for that. But that being said, I did not send my child to a Steiner school. I think I did very well in Steiner schools because I was self-motivated. I think that my middle sister, who was much more happy smoking (laughs) pot, you know, and still playing with blocks in 11th grade. (laughs) Yeah, she should have gone to a school that was more just stricter and not saying, well, her etheric forces just aren't quite the same as, you know, it's like, no. (laughs) She's got a function in the world we live in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I guess when it's been explained to me, I had a friend that sent his kid there and then I saw the campus and it was glorious and idyllic and all that. But I always just, I have, again, from the childhood and now knowing a little bit more about your dad, I would imagine somewhat of that, a little spidey sense goes off where it's like, 
this is a little too dogmatic for me. This is a little bit religious for me. This is a little bit culty for me. Like there's an inside way of thinking and then there's an outside way of thinking. It's just, I don't know. It's hard to keep yeah. those things on the right path. Yeah, you're not far off. And, I, and my argument always, and my father's argument, because my dad was an anthroposophist. I mean, anthroposophy just means knowledge of man, really. But that was Rudolf Steiner's philosophy, was anthroposophy. Let's study why we are here. Uh -huh. Why is man here and where are we going? And it gets very much into the spiritual world. And it does have a very Christian slant. And my father used to argue that all the time because he read all 60 of Steiner's books. Oh, wow. And could translate them from the crazy esoteric stuff into layman's terms. And he would say Steiner was an architect and a scientist and a mathematician. And he was an incredibly bright guy. And if he was alive now... He would be with the times. Right, right. And the problem is, is that all these, what we call anthropops, and I, I write in the book how when I was a kid, they always seemed to be floating rather than walking on the ground, like, and they could never just talk. Everything was a little <laughs> sing-songy. Like, they're just, their heads are, seem to be so up in the clouds that there's no reality grounded in what they're actually teaching. Right. And... No television, no computers, no. I didn't learn to type. When I got to college, I was like, no one taught me how to type. It's ridiculous. A perfect example of a Steiner business. And this is my argument. My mother, who's still with us, and I'm looking for a place to move her because she lives in a two-story house and it's time and she's yeah. aware. And she just wants to go to this place in Ghent, New York. And it's a Steiner community. Oh, they do like retirement? stuff too this one okay i don't know if they're all over the yeah. world but this one is there and everything has an angle at and it, nothing has a square corner it <laughs> sure. drives me crazy <laughs> but my argument to her is when i called them and when i went to see them and said listen my mother needs an apartment here blah, blah, no one calls me back yeah i'm like this just <laughs> oh my God. just like wake up like it it drives me insane and then of course i find a really great one where i would probably want to go if i was yeah. her age and they call me back. They send me floor plans. I already have the the whole how much it's going to cost. Yeah. It's like, it's a business. Right. Yeah. It has to provide a service <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yes. You're right, though, because I don't know what year all that all of his work was done or his theory on education started. But, yeah, the problem with every single thing is anyone that doesn't evolve, therein lies the problem. Like, yeah, the Bible was probably cutting-edge stuff 2,000 years ago, but it has to incorporate everything new we learn. Anything that doesn't continually incorporate new discoveries i'm a little worried about even aa which i love you know it was written in the 30s some of the language man it's it's getting more and more weird as i listen to it out loud you know there's stuff about females there's stuff about you know there's just shit needs to incorporate new stuff yeah 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 100 so there's good things about it and because my mother was a eurythmy teacher which is speech and music through movement and she was like you're not sending kieran to a steiner school and i said listen First of all, I want him to learn how to do math and everything that's inside of me inherently that's Steiner, I will give to this child. Yeah. He'll yeah. get it just from me being his mother. I want to go back to your dad. So you wouldn't be able to say this, but he's a selfish human being. I'm just telling you. My father? Yes. When you have a family in New York and then you go take a job in Paris and then they all come to Paris and then you take a job in England, you're selfish. And probably a very loving guy, and I know you did love him, but of course, when your fucking husband didn't tend to the baby on your one-hour request, it's this fucking 
clown. What do you mean you're going to England? We just got to France and we hate it. You know, your yeah. primary source of male love was a very selfish man. Always from afar. Yeah. I came to that. You came to it very <laughs> quickly. I came to it much later in life when I was pregnant and 40 and suddenly realizing I blamed my mother for all the bad. And then I went, wait a minute. When I was reading these letters, I wrote to my father at 11 and 12, crying for him to, come, you know, I miss you, come get me. And then I was like, you're half the parent. You never even came to my school. You didn't even know who my teachers were. Yeah. Wait a minute. You don't get off scot-free, buddy. Yeah. You've got to be accountable for your actions. It can't just be her. Yeah. And that was a big revelation for me. And I did forgive because he explained his side of things. And I think we forget as children that our parents are just human beings, too. And I truthfully just, I find living a life where I'm angry all the time, it doesn't serve No, me no, well. you're the one yeah, that suffers. But what's interesting is your father had saved these letters you had sent him, and then he turned them over to you as if, like, look how cute you were. And I guess yeah. therein lies some of the forgiveness. Like, it didn't even occur to him that these weren't cute things. And then you read them, and you're like, oh, my God, this is very heartbreaking. I'm clearly asking for you to come rescue me, and you don't. You tell him as much. And he takes a few days right. and then he writes you a really long letter, nine pages, I believe, and he owns it largely. That's why I titled that chapter, The Blind Man and the Elephant, because he explained it where he really thought he was holding the elephant's ear. He didn't realize that there were several parts of the elephant. If a blind man is holding an elephant's leg, he thinks an elephant is a yeah, tree trunk. Yeah. If he's holding the tail, he thinks an elephant is wiry and, and bendable. And he owned the fact that he did not know my suffering. He wasn't aware enough. And I'll cut him some slack as far as we must also remember the context in which he was fathering, which is the 60s and 70s, which the, the bar was not high. I mean, basically you were expected to provide some sustenance in a roof. That was like so the expectation, which is crazy, but. In the 70s, it was so different than it is now. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I wanted the cover of the book to look like a 70s movie poster, because it's a coming of age story. And my childhood until high school was the 70s. Yeah. And parenting. I mean, listen, I don't know any parents today who would throw three kids in a van with a boyfriend they've known for two months and then pick up hitchhikers. Who does that? <laughs> right, right, right. But, but you did that in the 70s, sure. you know? Yeah. That wasn't so strange. You didn't have Twitter reminding you of how many people are murdered daily. You like, you probably only heard right. about it once a year. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> how could this go wrong? Right. So I did the exact same thing. My mom had custody of us, and she was an angel, and my father was the devil. And I couldn't even take on new info. Like, I was always perplexed that my dad had this enormous friendship circle in AA, and so many people loved him and counted on him. And I didn't look at that and go, oh, my dad must be different than I think he is. I looked at it and was like, oh, my God, look what he's getting away with. Like, these people don't even know he wasn't around, blah, blah, blah. Like, even stark new info that said my dad was a very loving, benevolent, generous human being that kept some humans alive. It didn't fit with the archetype I had for him. For me, I was like, it made me scared about my own judgment. I'm like, oh my God, for 44 years, I've had a story about these two people and it wasn't correct on either side. That's scary. Yes. But when you're a child, it's a very different perspective. You can't ask a child to see their parents through an adult's eyes, because 
Like for me, I put my father up on this pedestal and I really didn't want to take him down because not only was when I saw him so fun and it was vacation time and it was only Broadway shows and eating at Tavern on the Green and oh my God, I got a new sweater. And then when I was with my mother, it was, I remember once walking into the apartment that we rented this just awful apartment and she was wringing out the paper towels and hanging them to dry. And I, I just started crying. I was like, we can't be that poor. Like, I, I couldn't understand how I had just gone to see Annie <laughs> on Broadway and gone to the Russian tea room in a Laura Ashley dress. And now I was like living on, on a horsehair cot and my mother's wringing out. So I blamed her for yeah. that because I couldn't see it any other way. Right. Until yeah. you're an adult and you're like, Oh my God, my mom really struggled. Yeah. And for her, she's probably like, yeah, you just went to Annie and got a dress and I'm wringing out paper towels. Why isn't he helping us? Why isn't he helping me? (laughs) Right. And my mother always said that. She's like, your father always sent the check on time. We never argued. They never went to lawyers when they got divorced. Same. He just always did the right thing. But when he had us, I didn't realize he was living way beyond his means because he subconsciously felt guilty that he only saw us twice a year. Yeah. And that's why I think in the letter he wrote me, he said, even if I couldn't afford it, I made sure to get you girls to fly to see me whenever I could. I didn't realize my stepmother contributed to the household. I just saw her in these Chanel suits going out to Elaine. Like I, it didn't make sense to me, but his life seemed like a precious sparkly jewel. And my mother's life seemed like a hippie, chaotic, granola. I just couldn't understand it, but I loved her so much. And I wanted him to see her in a good light that I was always trying to juggle, making sure everyone was happy so that my own stuff that uh, was so deep inside, I just wanted to scream and cry. And you're right. My dad was selfish. And when he gave me the options as a 15 year old of what I could do, because my home life, it wasn't ideal living with my mother and her 21-year-old boyfriend, his option was never come live with me. Yeah, and I think too, now that you have a kid roughly that age, some of the decisions under the lens of what I would be doing right now become even more preposterous. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Beta Brand. Let me guess, you're going back to work soon and you're dreading wearing uncomfortable clothing, but you still need to look professional. What do you do? Well, thanks to Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants, you don't have to pick between professional style and comfort. I love this. There's no going back to being uncomfortable in your clothes. It's over. It really is over. It's a wrap. Thank God for Beta Brand because you can have it all. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants while looking like dress pants. They're so amazingly soft and stretchy and absolutely effortless. Made of wrinkle-resistant machine-washable stretch-knit fabric, you can throw them in a suitcase without ever having to worry about ironing or dry-cleaning them. Plus, they're launching more colors and styles now than ever before, so be sure to keep an eye out for new styles because they sell out fast. Right now, Armcherries can get 30% off their Beta Brand order when they go to betabrand.com slash dax that's 30 percent off your order for a limited time at betabrand.com slash dax discover what it's like to be comfortable and confident all the time go to betabrand.com slash dax for 30 percent off we are supported by figs 
Figs celebrates the 100% awesome healthcare professionals by making scrubs they actually want to wear. Forget boxy, itchy cotton scrubs. Monica, say goodbye to them. I've been having a lot of beta mind high frequency illusion with figs. Okay. I see them all over the place now. Oh, and people look very comfortable, they I'm assuming. They do. Yeah, figs are ridiculously soft and engineered with athletic apparel functionality. Every set is made with technical comfort to blend design, comfort, and performance. Get your figs customized with text and icon embroidery. Mix and match any of the super popular core scrubs with each other for a quick wardrobe refresh. The 100% awesome core scrubs include pants and tops that come in a rainbow of colors with one to three pockets for convenient access to everyday carry. If you are one of the awesome humans who work in healthcare, Figs wants you to wear the scrubs you deserve and enjoy 15% off your first order. And if you're not working on the front lines, thank someone who is with the best scrubs in the world. Figs will give you 15% off too. Use code DAX at checkout. Head to wearfigs.com. That's W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com and enter your code DAX at checkout. Get ready to love your scrubs. How did this affect your interaction with boys growing up? I mean, did you like guys that ultimately you somehow knew were going to disappoint you <laughs> and be selfish themselves? I loved to be loved from afar. Oh. That was my comfort because my father was always so far away. And when oh, you're far away, you don't pick fights, right? You don't get into the nitty gritty. Everything's rosy. The letters, the phone calls. So I picked men who had the temperament of the chaos in my life with my mother because I knew how to handle that. Yeah, My mom was, depending on what boyfriend she was with or if it was in the middle of a breakup or the end of a breakup, you know, I would read the temperature in the room and I knew how to surf that environment. So mm -hmm. with my long 10-year relationship before I finally realized, oh my God, I'm only doing this because this is what I know. Yeah, yeah. It's familiar. Yeah, it's familiar. And my best times in that relationship was when he went away for work. We were great when he was in Prague. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I have a boyfriend. I'm not alone, but I don't have to interact and there's no fights. Yeah. Uh, you have a thing with Prague. Sorry, he wasn't in Prague. I shot too, too many series in Prague. <laughs> I know. And when you left ER and you thought on your deathbed what you would want to do, you thought, I would have liked to have tried to do Broadway. I would like to go to Prague. That was 20 some years ago. And now, just now, you say he's in Prague. There's, you have something with Prague. I meant wherever he was filming. Vancouver. I know, but I think it might hold something <laughs> in your head. I think Prague is like, there's something here. Okay, we can, we can dissect that. I'm game. <laughs> I presume you've been, right? It's a glorious city. I love Prague. It's beautiful. I had two really great filming experiences there. And what was amazing about it was the first time was in 2000, right after I left ER to go and shoot The Mists of Avalon. And then three years later, I went back to shoot another miniseries and it had changed. It was wow. like night and day, just in three years, just the restaurants and everything had just transformed. So you were, 2000 was that movie? So I made The Miss of Avalon in 2000. It came out in 2001, I think. Okay, so I was there. I was you there were? with three derelict buddies from Detroit. I was just about to graduate college and I went there and we got annihilated all day long. We ate leg of boar meals 
And at the end of the day, we'd be like in our hotel room, like, how much did you spend? And you'd be like, $3.90. Like you couldn't <laughs> spend $10 there. Like the right. goal was to try to blow through 10 bucks and it couldn't be done. No, you could get a whole bottle of absinthe. That was what a lot of the cast was doing on weekends is they were buying bottles of absinthe for like four cents. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Literally many of the places the beer was 10 cents. It was crazy. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, it changed so dramatically then after that. Okay, first of all, you went to Sarah Lawrence, and then I just think it's interesting that you were on Scrubs. And of course, you know Bill Lawrence is of the Sarah Lawrence Lawrence. You know that. I actually did not know that. Are you serious? You didn't. Yeah, that's his family. Oh my God. How come he and I never talked about that? I did not know I that. Know. No. He should have known. I know you went to Sarah Lawrence. He should have known you went to Sarah Lawrence. His damn family started it. His great grandmother. I had no idea. He didn't go there, though, did he? I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. But he is the Lawrence of the Sarah Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> okay. So I want to know really quickly because I've had a fascination. Well, it's still present with Seagal, Steven Seagal. In your first movie was with Steven Seagal. I think that was a, uh, he was, yeah, it was absolutely. like Pinnacle. Yeah. He just. Three movies a year, they all worked. You beat people up. Yeah. And then, of course, I turned on the TV some years later, and I see that he is a sheriff in Louisiana. For real? Yeah, he's a legitimate sheriff in some parish in Louisiana, and he had a reality show, and he'd pull people over, and, of course, all they can think about is the fact that Steven Seagal is asking them if they had something to drink. It's so confusing to the people who are getting but, pulled over by him. And now he's a, him. a citizen of Moscow, no? No, he is? Oh, my God. Yeah. What yeah, he life. moved to Russia. Oh, he did. That's my understanding is that he, him and Putin are like this. Oh my good, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, there there was a whole thing a couple of years ago. I could be so wrong, and I apologize. <laughs> we'll fact check. We we'll fact check. I thought there was a whole thing a couple of years ago where he denounced his American citizenship. No kidding. And became a Russian citizen. He yeah. must have cleaned up all of Louisiana, and he's like, "My work here is done. <laughs> I'm going to Russia." <laughs> straighten that place out. <laughs> but in this reality show, when he wasn't on his beat as a sheriff, this is for real, he was in blues clubs, like doing guitar solos at night as a blues guitar. I'm just obsessed. I'm obsessed. What was your you work are, experience You are. You know like? much more about him than I do. He's worth knowing about. Like, I also just, you know, the notion that in the 80s and 90s, if you knew some karate, you might be able to just do that karate in many, many movies, and it never got old. I love that. I know. I mean, there was always a sort of story behind it, which was that he can't really do any of those martial arts, <laughs> but I don't know if that's true either. So much lore. Well, so much yes, lore around One that. of his claims, I think his claim, and we really need to fact check this part, but part of his origin story is that he lived in Japan or somewhere, that might not be right, but he had opened his own martial arts studio in an area somewhere in Asia where only the masters can have a dojo. And so this is part of the lore of him, that he like was in the thick of it where it counts and he was a master. <laughs> I, You know, I didn't give it much thought after I got my SAG card and did my little part in the movie. I guess here's what I'm curious about. You're just shockingly beautiful. He must have given you rhythm, no? When you say rhythm, what do you mean by that? In, I guess they call it in sex and love addiction um, intriguing, <laughs> like seeing if someone is interested in you. Well, I think that's why he asked me to come to his hotel room <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's overt. That's overt. And then read my palm 
Oh, oh, oh wow. And told okay. me that he was a healer mm. and that I had weak kidneys. Oh, did that materialize? No. <laughs> did that turn out to be true? Okay. No. I think that was his shtick with women was that he would tell them he was a healer. So I'm laughing about that, but is that a bad experience or is yes, that one you would laugh? Well, I, I always want to be careful. I'm laughing at how preposterous of an angle that is. No, listen, I'm fine. <laughs> and okay, I, I okay. got out of the room unscathed and I wrote about it because, well, for several reasons. One, it, it's a very funny story. I don't mean to belittle it in that it wasn't traumatic because it was, but nothing happened to me. I did not get right. sexually assaulted. But the chapter in the book, which is called Out for Justice, you know, all of his movies only have three words in the title. <laughs> <laughs> so, Above and listen, I was law. straight out of yeah, college yeah. and all I wanted was my SAG card. Yeah. You know, and I had given myself five years out of college. I said, if within five years I have not been able to make a living, pay my insurance and my rent by acting, I'll quit. And I will do something else, something worthy of my time. But I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to beg. <laughs> and I'm not going to uh, live uh -huh. on a futon for the rest of my life. And so right out of college, I had this agent and they sent me on the Steven Seagal audition. And I didn't know who he was. Okay. I didn't go to see those kind of movies. That yeah. wasn't my jam. I believe that you didn't know. I truly didn't know. And at the time, my middle sister, Rachel, was getting married. And it was all about that for me. Even it wasn't a fancy wedding or anything, but... She and I were very close and I was her maid of honor for her wedding. So really, I was focused on that. So I was like, okay, I'll go and audition, whatever. Anyway, and they actually, at the audition, he wasn't at the first audition. Um, they asked me if I was Puerto Rican. So this would never happen now. Obviously. Right, right, right. But right, back right. then, nobody knew how to cast me. You're mostly Eastern European, a bit Russian. Yeah. Right. I'm an Eastern mm -hmm. European Jew, but they all thought like, is she Irish? Because she has uh -huh. curly hair and green eyes. Or yeah. is she maybe part black? Or yeah, is yeah. she Puerto Rican? This is part of your beauty. You're an enigma. God bless you for saying that. At the time, it was, are you Puerto Rican? And I went, sure. <laughs> oh, wait, I have to interrupt you. I have to interrupt you. <laughs> okay. Because you'll love this story. Monica, just give her the two cents of taking the trip to Florida. Oh, Because this is our, one of our longest running bits when we text each other. Go, when go I was coming out of high school, I went to Florida, to Ocala, Florida, to go on meetings. Because that's the place you go to, to go on meetings for in the film industry, you know. Oh, and, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> like acting meetings. Me and my best friend did this. And we met with some guy who made like crocodile documentaries. And then we met with this one woman who was some sort of producer, amorphous producer, and she told me that I could and, and more, should. More importantly, should. Play black. Play black. <laughs> Again, this was also a long time ago, but <laughs> she encouraged me to do that and was very adamant that and I. And earnestly, you can, right? You like, can play black. You should. Yeah. Like, helpful. Yeah, she was she was trying to be helpful. Yeah. It's so it's so interesting. I don't so that would never happen today to you, no, right? No, no, and no, no. I would never no. be able to play. I mean, my first two roles on film and on television, Law and Order, I played Lieutenant Mendoza. Sure. Yeah. 
course. And and I got my SAG card playing Rika, the hooker with a heart of gold and out for justice. And <laughs> when I got to set, I, they fly me to California. I got the part. And on set, Steven Seagal says, you know what? Let's do this in Spanish. And oh, I was like, oh, oh. fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, so... I don't really speak Spanish, but I speak French and I'm quick with languages. So if you tell oh. me what oh it sounds God. like. Just trying so hard not to get fired. Yeah. I, I really didn't want to get fired. I really yeah. wanted that card. Oh. And it's the only Spanish I remember to this day, which is Elena, vete de aquí. I had to tell my little sister to stay out of the room or get out of here. Oh, but no. he said on set, he said, so you're not Puerto Rican? And I said, no, I'm Jewish. Kind of uh, like you, right? Steven uh, Siegel, really. Uh, <laughs> and everyone just like it went silent. Oh my because God. he is. His oh, name isn't Steven Seagal. No. It's Steven Siegel. Sure. But yeah, Steven so, Siegel, the, the most trusted family practitioner we have in our circle. <laughs> Steven Siegel. But hey, you know what? That movie got me my SAG card. Yeah. There won't be a more appropriate time to announce this that second most nominated SAG woman in the history of wow. SAG other than Julia Louise Dreyfus. That's amazing. What an honor. Wow. Do you know that about yourself? I did not know that. No. You did your Wikipedia search, didn't you? You don't know where I research. Don't just try to <laughs> belittle my I research. Have, yes. saying I only uh, go but to thank Wikipedia. You for letting me I also know that. watch like seven interviews with you uh, on television. <laughs> But, uh, you know, when all that stuff came out, when the Me Too mo movement happened and I heard women talking about things he had done, I was like, yeah, I was in that hotel room and his yeah. shtick kind of made me, I was kind of laughing because I thought like, does that, like when he said I'm a healer and, and you have weak Ew. kidneys, it, at that point I had, <laughs> oh it gave God. me the courage to stand up and get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he assessed like, what oh. organ does this person want to know is ailing? <laughs> I wonder if it was always weak kidneys <laughs> like, or if he told some people their gallbladder was in bad shape <laughs> or that their liver needed oh. tending to. Could, it Boy. could be. I remember when the movie came out, I didn't, I was such a small player in it. I didn't get invited to the premiere. And uh -huh. me and my boyfriend and all my college friends at the time, we went to the Broadway and 19th Street Theater to see it. And I remember that moment of sitting there and seeing 25 feet. Your face is so... I already have a really big face anyway, and I'm always a little bit like, oh my God, my face is so big. I couldn't watch it. I, I got, got on, up and left. I couldn't bear hold it. Hold on. This is fantastic. This just keeps happening. Mm -hmm. What? It's so wonderful. Where we have like bona fide objective, a computer could analyze it, tens, and they don't know. And it just, it's very comforting. Like the notion that you would look at your big head on screen and not think, <laughs> fuck, did I nail that head? Look at that fucking face. If you can do that, we're all fucked. It's comforting. But it is weird, right? The first time you ever saw yourself on film, you're not used to it. I mean, now, of course, I'm now used to it and I look past all the things I hate and I just try and... Look at the work. Let's just say this. You're seeing angles of yourself that you can't see as a human. So as a human looking in a mirror, you're limited to seeing the front of your face, a little bit of the side. Like you've never looked at yourself from behind. Right. But as soon as you start acting, now you're seeing like 360 of you. I'm like, oh, that chin's weak. We got to yeah. get that thing. <laughs> I mean, no, it's I just, horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, such a magnifying glass into all your imperfections. Oh. But then I always think, well, but when I personally watch 
people up on screen. I just think they're all so beautiful. Like oh, I love you can actually see the iris. Oh my God, yeah. look at the shape of their nose. And like, so then I think, well, why are you so hard on yourself? I mean, it could be that I was called fathead all through eighth grade. Oh maybe God. so I have a, I think a round face. <gasps> Dax loves round features. <laughs> <laughs> We've had lots of arguments about this. Okay, I'm going to move on before I'm Steven Seagal. But I am worried about your coccyx. Yes. I think it's There you go. You could start there. Okay. Sure. And I could heal it. Yes. Thank you. Just a couple things I want to talk about ER. One being Clooney. We love him. <laughs> take it away. And that's my invitation for you to take it away. No, no, no. I'm interested in that. That's the bottom line. I'm interested in that your scene partner in this explosive show that was epic was also with a guy who ultimately was a legendary film star. Became the biggest Big, movie yeah. star. Yeah. And, um, and then so the questions I ran through in my head, I was like, no, that's kind of dismissive to you. You know, like I'm just thinking of three or four questions and I just realized, oh, I don't like that question. I don't like that question. I don't like that question. But there was no real. So then you just landed on just Clooney. Just Clooney. Yeah. Let's leave, leave it at that. Clooney. I feel that way with like Chris Pratt, like when we had Aubrey Plaza on and they're on Parks and Rec and it's just like this fun show. And and then all of a sudden that show ends and he becomes an insanely huge movie star. Right. For those people, right. I think they're like, that's crazy. You know, I thought George handled it all so well, but really by the time in between our first and second season, George did that Quentin Tarantino. Was it Quentin Tarantino movie? Yeah, Dust Till Dawn. It was Rodriguez and, and Tarantino. Right. Yeah. And it went to number one right away. And so literally by the time we were in our second season of the show, he was already moving up the movie star chain. Uh-huh. And then he did Out of Sight with Steven Soderbergh. I think that was the next year. He would have been great at loving you from afar, by the yeah, way. That's true. <laughs> that had to be slightly tempting. <laughs> It all would have worked until I became an adult. Yeah. And I really yeah. didn't become an adult until I was about 35. And then I would have wanted him to show up. Yes. yes so yes. I, <laughs> I always, I mean, he and I always joke about, thank God nothing ever happened because we can now remain friends for the rest of our lives. That's like, you true. As he used to say, you don't shit where you eat. <laughs> right. Although yeah. I'm I'm great friends with all my exes. So you guys could have still but maybe been great friends. No, but what he meant by that was the famous story of a moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd. They had sex on the pilot and then the show gets picked up. And then they hated each other. Or, you know, <laughs> David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. That the same thing happened. And then they hate uh, each other and you're stuck on a show for seven years oh, together. I mean, yeah. that's agony. Yeah. Life's too short, yeah. you know? You just want to have that mm-hmm. crush keep going and going, and that's what worked. <laughs> yeah. And also, he's just a super awesome human being, and I, I love him. Yeah, and then when you left, what's interesting is, so, and I've heard you talk about it a lot. It was the thing that, of course, got a lot of headlines when you started promoting Sunshine Girl, but, you know, when you left, you walked away from a huge chunk of money, $27 million over two years. That was the big headline. You've talked about it a bunch. And you're so right in your analysis that, for people, what they project onto that is like, I guess, a lack of gratitude, getting too big for their britches, you'll never have it this good again, like all this ultimately fear stuff. But there is one other explanation I just wanted to hit you with, which is a little more generous, which is, I've only had that once. I loved one TV show until Sopranos, which was Northern Exposure. And when he left, I was sad. 
I love that show. I did not want him to leave. I want him to keep doing it because I loved him on that show. But I'm not evolved enough to be vulnerable and say, I'm going to miss you, and I hate that. So I go, well, this better work out as a movie star. Like, basically, you fucked up my thing. So now I'm kind of start hating on you, but originally derived from love, I believe. So I, I do think a lot of people maybe who were voicing one thing, what they really wanted to say was, I'm going to miss you so much, and I don't want you to go. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I think there was a lot of that. There still is. It's so weird. Because of the pandemic, ER has this new audience that weren't mm. born yet when we were doing ER. Isn't I that mean, wild? That's crazy. It's crazy because that was 20 years ago. Also, you and I started yeah. working in a paradigm where almost the reason you wanted to be a movie actor as opposed to a TV actor is that movie actors were immortalized. You still watch The Godfather. There wasn't a world in which people watch TV shows that were 20 years old. That didn't exist. Right. right. So to be virtually in what is the modern day equivalent of movies where people, yeah, are watching, you know, Breaking Bad. They're watching, you know, they're going back and watching these shows. Listen, during the lockdown, my son, he just turned 13. So he was 12 at the time. We watched three episodes of The Office every night, all nine seasons. Oh and yeah, how fun. Like in his mind, Pam and Jim are the age of Pam and Jim from The Office. Like those are his yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. not just him, all of his friends, that was their show. And I was like, wow, wow. this is amazing. And I actually it's said cool. to him, I, I, when we finished the nine seasons, I said, you know, ER was a pretty good show. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> do you want to watch that? And he goes, no, I'm good. <laughs> I know. I keep dropping like little seeds, hoping my daughters will watch Parenthood someday. Like, I hope they go do through they have that any interest? show. No, but my daughters love Top Gear, this car show I host, and they love cars and they love they stuff. They watch that The Good Place. They love The Good Place. So we've had I, a taste yeah, I of it. I do too. I love that show. They're indifferent to Frozen, though, which is a big relief for me as a parent. Okay, I have to tell you something about Frozen. Tell me. I feel really bad about this, but so every year, my best friend from college who has a daughter 11 months younger than Kieran and her husband and me and my son, we all go on vacation together. And they, we've been doing this every Christmas since the kids were two and three years old. And when my girlfriend Blair, her daughter Nora got a little older and Frozen came on the scene, my son was locked in a room with Nora and it was uh -huh. on a loop literally uh -huh. for a week that movie. She yeah, would watch yeah, it eight yeah. times a day. And if he tried to turn it off, she would scream. <laughs> yeah. And when we flew home to New York and my girlfriend lives in LA, so we at the airport, bye, we get on the plane and my kid, I think he was seven, sat down and he went, so I'm boycotting Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a traumatic movie for the people who didn't love it. <laughs> and I said, wait, but Kieran, you love cars. Cars is Disney. And he goes, it's over. I'm Nothing out. Disney. <laughs> to the point where when I took him to L.A., I said, do you want to go to Disneyland? He goes, what part of boycotting did you not understand? <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow. Really good for him. He, he's principled. She traumatized him with yeah. Frozen. And I. so the only time, like Keith and I, every time Kieran would do something that warranted us to be a little annoying to him, we would just start singing from Frozen yeah. in front of his room and shut yeah. the door. But Knock I think on his it, door and say, do you want to build a snowman? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of boys in his class felt the same way because the girls, yeah. they just mm -hmm. went 
bonkers and that nothing else existed. Yeah. Okay, you left the show. You have a great story, but you've told it most places. But in a nutshell, your dad really kind of came in at the right moment and got philosophical with you and kind of helped you steady what you wanted to do and leave and try other things and yeah. consider on your deathbed whether you'd want $27 million or having done the things you were passionate about. Yeah, his words were, I know a lot of unhappy rich people. And what is your heart saying? And if you were yeah. to die before the two years were up to make you a rich person, what would you be saying to yourself as your soul left your body? Were you living your most truthful life? Were you being your most authentic self? Or were you mm -hmm. waiting for two years of your life to go by to get rich? Yeah. yeah. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by BetterHelp Online Therapy. In May's Mental Health Awareness Month and throughout June, Armchair Expert is proud to join the cause of destigmatizing therapy. Monica and I are both subjects of therapy. Big time. Yesterday. Yesterday. I had therapy. Now, if you're struggling with relationships or having difficulty sleeping or difficulty meeting your goals, if you're feeling anxious or stressed, BetterHelp counselors can listen and help. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Therapists have a broad range of expertise that may not be locally available in your area. The service is available for clients worldwide. All you have to do is log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You can schedule weekly video, phone, or even live chat sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Arm Cherries get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com dax. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dax. We are supported by Squarespace. ArmchairExpertPod.com, designed by Robbie Bob. It was very easy for him to do this, even though he is a tech genius, because why? They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, the ability to customize look and feel settings, products, and more with just a few clicks, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. It's a great place to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. They have analytics to help you grow in real time, and of course, the built-in search engine optimization with free and secure hosting, nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and 24-7 award-winning customer service. Now, why might you need a website, you ask? Well, you could showcase your work there. You could blog or publish content. You could sell products and services of all kinds, promote your physical or online business, or announce an upcoming event or special project. Go to squarespace.com DAX for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code DAX to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com DAX, enter code DAX. It's so funny. I was just talking to my wife about virtually the same thing this morning. And then Monica and I were talking about it two days ago. It's really, really wild if your life gets lucky enough that your needs are met and you actually can start evaluating why you're doing the things you're doing. I recognize it's a very privileged place to be in life where you can ask yourself why you're doing something. Because for most of my life, it was to eat and have rent money. But there has become a point now where it's like, well, that's not an issue anymore. So why am I doing it? And so often the reason I'm doing anything is the fear that my lack of gratitude for this opportunity 
will take away all future opportunities. Like that all I've gotten too big for my britches, that I'm not grateful anymore, that I don't value anything. I mean, the implications of me saying I don't want to do something are so much deeper. I can't find one reason why I'd want to do the thing, yet I'm in a state of total discomfort saying no. When you say grateful, that's a, I'm very curious about that. So who are you worried about, yourself or other people thinking you're not being grateful? That's a, such a great question to ask. So my childhood, my blue collar roots, my working class mother who killed herself to build a business, you know, all these things. It is a remarkable journey because, I mean, obviously everyone thought I was nuts back then and I get it. I understand that. I really do. I don't regret it. Well, you said something really profound, which is you're actually threatening the American dream. And sometimes I say stuff on here that is all I recognize is also like I always say, like, do it, get famous, get rich. I'm just also adding to that. It's not going to feel anyway. You're not going to look in the mirror and feel rich and famous. Sadly, it'd be right. great if you did. But I'm just warning you now that doesn't come for anyone. Right. You said something so interesting when you were talking to Prince Harry. If we can just keep <laughs> bringing him into the narrative. Sure, sure, sure. But you said there I was at airports and people are recognizing me and I was miserable. I couldn't see the forest through the trees, right? You were not who you wanted to Lowest be. Lowest point with everything I had dreamed of. Yeah, yeah, right? You dreamed. Yeah, and, yeah. and my dad, when I said, dad, everyone's making fun of me. And he said, well, you threw away the American dream. To them, that's the American dream. Mm -hmm. And I understand it. And that's why he said to me, I know a lot of unhappy rich people. Choose your happiness. Yeah. Where does your happy come from? It's hard to break that. That is the soup we were fed, all of us here, from day one. Right. It's a big and, one. And if you can weather the storm of other people's opinions, mm -hmm. if you can thicken up your skin, which, believe me, I have thin skin. I care what people think about me. I do. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But what I am learning, especially now with social media and everyone has a voice and a platform to spew whatever they want, is that I cannot give anybody's opinion worth their salt if I don't actually meet them face to face. Yeah, right? yeah. Because I don't know where they are. Where are you sitting with all your opinions? Where are you? What's your life like? I don't know how you feel about reading reviews. When I'm doing theater, I can't read a review because if I believe the good, then don't I have to believe the bad? Right. And if right. I believe the bad, I may get 99 great reviews and the one bad one is going to be the only one I remember. Of course. And then every night when I go out on that stage, that's what's going to be in my head. Not mm -hmm. me being truthful to the work, but some mm -hmm. guy who I've never even met before who was judging my performance, that's going to ruin my performance now. Yeah. So yeah. who are you giving power to? Yeah, and that reviewer took a coworker out to dinner beforehand and then went and saw the show and he, he had illusions that they were going to have fireworks. And then, you know, like right. who right. fucking knows is if you can you don't know. critique something in a void. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think what I love about getting older and I'm older than both of you, all of that really starts to fall away. I'm so happy that it's finally is because that stuff used to really hit me hard. Like when I had left ER and I was getting all this backlash for a decision that I thought was a private decision that would benefit me. I had no idea that people were going to judge it or be affected by it or think that I was ungrateful. I was going off to do a play for $235 a week. I wasn't going off. to. Mm. I had no grand illusion that I was going to be some movie star. 
I never said yeah. I'm turning this down because now I'm, yeah. I was literally going to do off Broadway. Like it was, it wasn't right, right, right. Yeah. But I thought I have to tell everybody why, like that was my first reaction. Yeah. And I realized, no, actually, I don't actually, I know why. And they can think whatever they want. I'll never be all powerful to change someone's opinion. Right. And the people in your life, in your orbit that know you, that love you, the none, not one of those people. Not are one of thinking, those people thinks yeah, that I yeah. think I'm going to be some big movie star. And that is the beauty also of having really good friends and having a great partner and you know having a good family around you because the inner circle that you have around you is the people you should believe. Not the people mm -hmm. tweeting. Oh, that's why I don't tweet. I mean, I only just started Instagram a year ago and I'm awful at it. But that one's worth doing. I don't think anyone will leave Twitter ever feeling better. But I do think you can leave Instagram feeling better. Me, I'll just speak for me. No, I mean, truthfully, Random House said, wait, you have no social media platform? And I was like, no. Mm. And I live such a happy life. <laughs> yes. yes. Isn't it crazy? Like this is, becomes the debate we, mm. we all have is like, is it even an option not to have it if you do what we do? I tell myself I wouldn't have it if I didn't have this job, but I might be lying to myself. I don't know. It's addictive, right? Because I do find myself checking it. And then I think like, why am I checking it? This is horrible. And yeah. I just checked it one minute ago and now I'm checking it again. Nothing's right. changed. Like, what, it's what it's changed? just habitual. It's crazy. It's scary. It is crazy. I use it I mainly as a tool to police Monica. Like if I can't get a hold of Monica... You put it on and, Instagram? And, and she's like, presumably, she's like, you know, she's down for the night. I go over to Instagram and I can see because we follow each other. It'll say active now. And I'm like, that little asshole. She's in I bed. Just can you, like, I still don't even know. Someone someone said, um, we'll put it in your story. And I was like, I don't know how to get there. I can't do that. But, you know, my husband is neither on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And he does really well. Like, he's yeah. fine. Yes. Yeah. Nothing seems to ruffle his feathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I have two quick questions because I also want to say that you're joining the cast of The Morning Show, which is exciting. Oh. Did you know that? I didn't. Do you That's watch really exciting. exciting. Yeah. I also, I a bunch of people that worked on Parenthood worked on The Good Wife. The report back was just always how lovely it was. That was always the resounding feedback I always heard about people who went there. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I always feel like you do your best work in a safe environment. And I was so thankful to all these incredible people that would come to do the show. Which you guys had the best. Well, we had Broadway was right there. And I always knew on Mondays because that's their day off. I always do. I would never look at the call sheet. I would just want to walk into the makeup room and see who was there. And I'd like bowing down to everyone's feet. It was a masterclass in acting for me. Working, I mean, my God, Brian Dennehy was a lawyer sure. with me for all these people. Uh, F. Murray Abraham. I mean, there were days where I just, I was like sitting there with Alan Cumming, Christine Baranski, Nathan Lane, and David Hyde Pierce. And I Not was like, possible. could you all just sing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I bet the room was cluttered with Tonys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, everybody. So I got to work with Michael J. Fox, and it was rich to be on that show, just from an actor standpoint. And also the crew. This book actually started more, me and Michael J. Fox used to say, you know, all these actors who come on set right out of Juilliard or right out of uh, Yale drama school, and they're all so talented, but none of them learned set etiquette. And he yeah. and I used to talk about wanting to write a handbook. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, like 
you're all really talented, but learn the fact that 13 hours may go by before you get to do your monologue and you're going to be mm-hmm. tired and it's your job to shut the fuck up and do your job. <laughs> yeah. No one's yeah, complaining one. because the boom <laughs> operator has been here way longer than you, the focus puller, the PA. This doesn't happen without every single person here. I was joking and sort of writing, like trying to pay it forward to actors to be like, I've been on sets now for a very long time, every single day. And let me just give you a few tips. And then I sort of was interweaving my childhood in there. Anyway, I sent the chapters, like nine of them to my agent. And she goes, acting handbooks don't sell. But the (laughs) shit you have in between about your childhood, now that's a book. (laughs) <laughs> There's not as many uh, aspiring actors as you might think. I hope you had a chapter called Hang Your Wardrobe Up. Mm. So it kills me when I find out actors don't hang up their wardrobe. I do that, by the way. I'm kind of, I guess I'm nosy. And I always ask, I'll ask the customers, like, who hangs their shit up and who doesn't. And that's kind of my litmus test. If I'm I think so they're... glad to hear you say that. Bravo. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a stepdaughter of a stylist. And she used to come home in tears after a photo shoot because the models would leave their clothes on the floor. She had to go and like bring them back to Bloomingdale's usually. And they'd have cigarette butts on them and whatever. And I, I grew up seeing this woman in tears having to clean up after these precious yeah. people. And I don't care how tired you are. It takes just as much energy to take your clothes off and put it on a hanger as it does to take them off and throw it on the floor. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And why should anyone yeah. else clean up your shit? And I do think it's because also... I think everyone, no matter what business you're in, should be in the service industry first. Yeah. Because it just gives you perspective on that we're all human beings <laughs> and no one deserves better treatment. I got written up really few, quite a few times in a very short tenure at California Pizza Kitchen. So it didn't go great for me, but okay. Second to last question. Did you enjoy our love scene on Scrubs? Did I enjoy our love scene? I did. It felt good. I was wearing a wig, I think, that got in the way. Do you think I look identical to Zach Braff like the rest of the world? (laughs) Um, I know everyone says that. I see you very differently. I don't. You guys have a similar, there's something similar in your face. Yeah, you, you also have a similar, okay, don't get upset when I say this. No, you couldn't say anything worse than I think about it. So I love ahead. your accent. Do you know how heavy your accent is? No clue. My wife tells me, we're both from Michigan, and she says, you know. She does not have that Correct. Accent. And she says, you know, I've lost that accent, and you still have it. And I'm like, we talk identical, but we don't. And I know this objectively, but I feel like I sound exactly like her. <laughs> That's so interesting. No, you don't. I love it. I love that it's so inherent in who you are the podcast wouldn't be the same without it but it is strong but i i i think that you and zach could be brothers is that fair to say yeah well i pitched him a movie like 15 years ago when we were both first starting to work i said we should do a movie called nurture versus nature where we're identical twins but you were raised by like upper east side jews and i was raised by hillbillies and it had this big of an impact (laughs) Come on, that would be a great movie. (laughs) Yeah. I think that would be a great movie. Okay, what I'm trying to imagine is you stepping onto the set of Morning Show. I'm trying to think of the parallel for me, like who would have to be where I would walk in. I don't know, I guess I did this movie, The Judge, and it was was Duvall and Robert Downey and Billy Bob and D'Onofrio. And certainly I walked into there like, well, shit, I could either feel (laughs) 
really like I don't belong here or it could go great. And it went great. But I certainly, I don't know, it was in my head of like, well, we got some heavy hitters here. A lot of people with a lot of. Yeah, but she's the same. So but I don't think that... anyone ever feels the same. Oh, well, she's not. Well, maybe she does. More second time sag. Yeah. That. But she didn't know that. I had to tell her oh, that. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, minimally, you know, you're like, you're going on to someone else's show. Just like when right. people would come on your show, you're like stepping into a microcosm that everyone knows each other. And you're kind of beyond that in some way. I was excited, first of all, because it was just so nice to be working and not cooking and cleaning and ironing. But I'll tell you, the character was such a, I was so excited to play this character. Uh And my first day, yeah, I had to quarantine the first week that I got there because it was at the height of pandemic. And immediately Reese Witherspoon had gotten my number and texted, welcome friend. That's all I needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and she made me feel so welcome. And a very, very close friend of mine, she's in the book, actually, Nancy Banks, who was the one who really changed my trajectory of how to look at a relationship, which was, she said to me, and I'm, I'm coming back to this, when you're happy 25% of the time and miserable 75% of the time in a relationship, it's time to leave. If it were the other way around, you fight for it. And that really yeah. changed my world around when I could see it in numbers and not feelings, yeah. you know? Yeah. She was my maid of honor at my wedding. She works on the show. Oh, Uh, She works with Jennifer Aniston. So I hadn't seen her in a year. And I wasn't going to be seeing her for another year because of the pandemic. And so I get to set and there's Reese and I've known Jen. We came out of the gate together. Friends in ER shot next door to each other on the same night. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, we were Uh. must-see TV Thursday nights. So I've known Jen forever. I know Billy Crudup. I'm a theater geek in New York. Mm. He lives right down the street from me. Uh Mark Duplass I had never met, and I was so excited to meet him because I'm such a fan. And on top of all of it, it wasn't on my shoulders. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, I was laughing. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm in two scenes this week. Just two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No medical dialogue. No legalese. I mean, it was... Heaven. And I'm working with great people and all the directors. Also, the woman who's the executive producer and main director on the show is Mimi Leader, who was my director on ER. And then Leslie Goodbladder, who was my director on ER and The Good Wife. So I knew everybody. Yeah, I take it back. So this is like, this is the opposite of what I was thinking. This is like the sweet spot of your life where it's like, (laughs) all right, I belong here like a motherfucker. I know all these people. I started (laughs) with all these people. Here we are. Let's do this. And I don't have to work so hard. And yes. if I suck, it's not on my shoulders, right? Because it's yeah. not really my show. <laughs> so I loved it. I had such a good time. On The Good Wife, I spent so much of my time worrying about everyone else. Uh-huh, I always wanted sure. to make sure everyone was okay and everyone was having a good time. And then when I became a producer in the third season, anyone who had a problem who was an actor <laughs> goes to the actor. <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, oh, of course. My God. I'd come home and be like, what did I do? I shouldn't have said yeah. Like, it was like a vacation for me. I did six out of 10 episodes on the morning show and had a really good time. I can't wait to watch. Yeah. I really, 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 really like you. And I am really excited to see that because I love that show. It'll be really fun to see you join those badass ladies. I'm so glad you're in that world because you so deserve to be in that world because there's much more going on than just that show. And same with Big Little Lies, I'll say. It is a statement that this paradigm where women are going to be done acting at 30 
and what's his name is always going to be married to a 23 year old like that's over and women have stories to tell and they're still protagonists yeah i mean and i think reese i mean i don't know if you saw the cover of time magazine she's on it and it's about business she is single-handedly changing the narrative of hollywood and what it thinks of women by yeah. picking female stories and making sure women are hired. I think there was only one man who directed me on the morning show. Everyone else was female. It's so cool. So awesome. And you so deserve to be there. Because you were like, even The Good Wife, that would have been a huge anomaly 10 years before. Right. Yeah, and also for CBS, because CBS didn't have any female-driven shows. There were no women who were the leads of their shows. Right, and you weren't 28 or 32. No, like I was the, 40, 42 when I got the pilot. Yeah, so like, of course you're there in this group. I don't know. I like it. I think it's Thank cool. Thank you. I can't tell you what a thrill when I heard Armchair Expert was wondering if you wanted to do their podcast. My, <laughs> my heart literally jumped into my throat because I oh, really so believe flattering. both you and Monica got me through the pandemic. You can make us dinner. We'll let you make us dinner. <laughs> We're happy to let you make us dinner. You really, it really was my foray into the podcast world. So thank you guys so much. I'm a huge fan of both of yours. Oh, so thank flattering. You. Great luck with the book, Sunshine Girl. People should watch The Morning Show. Thanks, guys. All Have right. We'll talk day. again. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Hello. 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 We can Hello. do it in rounds. In rounds. How's that go? A round is you start and then I start halfway through. But you have to have it. It needs to be longer than just the word hello. They normally do it with okay. row, row, row your boat. Oh, right. Let's try it. Row, row, row your boat. Row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. I'm distracted by your singing. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that exercise. I start listening to you. It's fun. That's part of it. You know, one time Jess and I, years ago, well, years ago, you remember this. That's right. The three of us, Kristen was out of town for a long time. Oh, yeah, the, the boat. Like father. Mm-hmm, down on a cruise ship. Yes, and Jess, myself, and you, yourself, mm-hmm. hung out a lot. Yep. And we called it camp. Yep. And Jess and I sang a, a camp song that Jess taught me, and it was in round. Ah, was it hard for you? Extremely. Oh, good. So you're practiced at this. I feel less inadequate. It's really hard to do. Okay, yeah. Okay, good. How about you go first and let me try it? I think it's harder for the first person. Uh, it might be. <laughs> okay, ready? Mm-hmm. Row, row, row your boat gently row, down row, the row, stream. Wait, did I? Hold on. How many times I do I do? Out? Wait. I, I'm doing it right, right? I'm seeing yeah. it right? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if I was supposed to do row your boat multiple times. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, okay. Okay. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. I can't be doing it in the right spot. It felt insane. (laughs) (laughs) I think I came in at the wrong spot. Well, once you get it, we'll add Robin. But we got to get first one, two. I think we should maybe call Jess. Yeah, let's call him. And um, let's get him on the phone. See if he can sing the camp song for us. This could be a mean game where we could like figure out who we think he would answer first. Doesn't it seem like it's set up for that. I don't want to do. I don't want to. I think he'd answer for you first. Oh, of course. 
Oh my God. That feels Hello? so planned. Guess you're on candid air. camera. You're on candid what? air. We're recording a fact check right now. Hi. I just tried to do row, row, row your boat. Well, I succeeded. Uh, 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 uh. Dax had a harder time doing row, row, row your boat in round. And it reminded me of Camp Crazy. And do you want to try it? Yeah, but I, I forget how it goes, but I want you to sing it first for us. So it goes, camp, camp crazy, camp, camp crazy, camp, camp crazy, camp, camp crazy, camp, camp crazy. Yeah. So you, yep. you're doing that. Then I go, some call it fun and some they call it madness. So come on along and wipe <laughs> away your sadness. Oh, my God. Do you want me to continue? Mm. <laughs> of course. Oh, my God. I can't believe he knows it immediately. Are we having fun near the tree? And when it's gone, you'll remember this song because it's camp, camp crazy. And it, and it matches crazy up at the camp. end. Wow, this is sophisticated. Camp, uh-huh. camp crazy, camp. Oh my God. Okay, so now we got to hear it with you backing okay, up. Okay, I'm going to try it. This, it's so yep, hard. There's a lot going on. You're holding a phone. You're keeping headphones. up with it while I do the other part. And get the sound right. Mm. Okay. I also think I'm going to hit mute on this microphone. Will I be able to hear it, Yes, yeah, you, will. Oh, you okay. will. You will. Okay, great. Okay, Je- Jess. Um, yeah. Well, who starts? Will you he start? be able to hear me? He will not be able to hear you. He has to. Well, he can. Uh, not if you're muted. But he has to be able but to. But for him to hear you, this won't be playing him. Yeah, it's going it, to cut It'll out. be cut. The whole thing will be cut. So you're just guys are going to have to be, you're going to have to take your cue off him. Yeah. No, he has to take his cue off me, which is why okay. he has to hear me. Okay, I'll hit mute as soon as he starts. Okay. All right, Jess, ready, you ready? Jess? Yeah, I have to sing with her, though, the first round. Yeah. <laughs> ready? Camp, camp crazy, 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 camp. Can crazy can can crazy can can crazy can crazy can can crazy did it work did it work a lot of it yeah you wouldn't you can't hear her or then we can't hear you so you had to you had to bite the bullet she had to pace her rhythm off of you no but I closed my ears oh it was great you guys I mean it could only be so good over a phone and I think we hit the point. It could be. I think you guys nailed it. Jess, we'll do it in person one day. Yeah, let's do it in person some next time. Love you. I love Love you. you. Bye. (laughs) Okay. So it was a mess. Well. (laughs) I couldn't hear it because I plugged my ears. Yes and no. It it was pretty good. Okay. All I could think when I was listening to it is if I were in my car, I'd be like, they made this song? Like, it's it's crazy. It's Camp Crazy. Well, yeah, um, it is Camp Crazy. We didn't. He, he knew that song already. Oh, that's a real song? Yeah. It's a oh, camp song. Oh, we're going to get sued. No. Hmm. <laughs> it's like Row, Row, Row Your Boat. It's, oh, I thought I thought he made it up. No. Oh. He went to a camp and they- Called Camp Crazy? I guess. I would never send my kids to Camp Crazy. <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, crazy. I sang for you. I know for well for everyone. And you Twice. did a great job. Twice. 
Twice. Twice baked. Whew. Good job. Well, listen. I'm worn out. Between that and your character work, <laughs> a lot of growth. I've come out of, yeah, I've really come out of the closet. A lot of growth. Will, if you will. All right. I can't wait till you start doing like Irish accents no. and Scottish accents. Oh, my God. German accents. Oh. oh. That's <laughs> like six years down the road. Remember when I used to be the auto parts place and I'd be Schwarzenegger? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember? No. Do you like it? No. You love it. <laughs> I'm going to cover my face so you don't have to puke. I don't like that you have to cover your face. Well, then cover your eyes. Okay. Okay. Now I can just talk freely. <laughs> it evolved. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do some facts. Let's do it. Juliana Margulies. I've heard of her. Very trusted brand. Okay. What year was Steiner's work done in his theory on education published? Mm. Rudolf Steiner. He was an Austrian philosopher. Ooh, and claimed clairvoyant. <gasps> what a ding, ding, ding. Schwarzenegger's from Austria. Whoa. The ding, ding, oh. dings are happening so effortlessly. It's crazy. Fast and loose. Okay. Oh, so maybe I could play Steiner in this next bit. Okay. Uh, we'll see. That was a no. Um. <laughs> Waldorf education, also known as Steiner education. Do, do, is he also the inventor of the salad? I wish. I don't think so. That's a great salad. Is it? The Waldorf? Yeah. Do I like that? I don't yeah, think so. Yeah, I think you do. It has apples, right? Yeah. Okay. You like apples. They're Crisp. fine. They're yeah. fine. I mean, I don't dislike them, but I don't like them. You don't pine for them. Never. Okay. Never. In fact, sometimes I see slices and I'm like, I don't want that. Too much. Yeah, too much crisp. I like it. Um, the first Waldorf school opened in 1919. Oh, wow. Yeah. 102 years old. A century later, it has become the largest independent school movement in the world with more than 1,200 independent schools and nearly 2,000 kindergartens located in 75 countries. Well, wow. now I'm nervous because of the way we spoke about it. There's going to be a lot of people. It's okay. There's That's a lot her of people. opinion based on knowledge. She went to this, these mm. schools. Mm -hmm. It is her story. Exactly. You have a really cool sweater on that people don't know you're wearing, and it says facts. It says facts. It. But then even more importantly, there's checkered race flag underneath I know. It. It's Kristen, like combines everything. Kristen found this sweater for me in Paris, oh, brought man. it home. It's incredible. She thought it was perfect, and it is, yeah. because it mixes facts with race cars. Yeah. Okay. When did the Miss of Avalon come out? Uh oh, is it sh like Shazam? There's no such movie. No. Oh God, mm. that'd be great. No, it came out in 2001. Okay, 20 years ago. It was a miniseries. When um, Steiner School was in its infancy, first 81 years, still in its infancy. Wait, no. Yeah, Steiner was 81 years old. It was. In 2001, yeah. But I thought it. Nin I thought 1919. Oh, is that what I said? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow, good memory. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How much is a bottle of absinthe now in Prague? I mean, this is... This is just fun facts. This yeah. fun facts. It's hard because I'm not in Prague. Right. Okay? The prices for a glass of absinthe range from $4.50 to $11. A glass? I had absinthe in Prague. Me too. And I brought some home. Did they light it on fire? Yes. Of course. Yeah, isn't that fun? Light it on fire. Well, they put a green. sugar cube in there and then they light yeah, it on fire. I think they, they put it in a teaspoon or something. Mm -hmm. That's fun. It was fun. It's called the Green Fairy. 
um, I didn't notice it made me feel any different. It didn't. No. I think they've taken that part out of it. The opium or whatever fun was in it. Uh-huh. Oh, was there? No, that's tequila. That's, it had mescaline in it. Some, some alcohol, I think, maybe had mescaline in it. Maybe early mm, Sounds like tequila because tequila, tequila mezcal. has mezcal. 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 Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of mezcal. Or hallucinating from alcohol. No. Yeah. I do not think I would I would have been up that. for that, but. That was out of your comfort zone. Did Bill Lawrence go to Sarah Lawrence College? No. He did not. No. He went to William and Mary. Mm. College of William and Mary. That's weird. That feels very competing. Sarah it, Lawrence, William and Mary. I These thought, are like colleges named after people. I thought I thought Sarah Lawrence was a girl's school. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like one because of, of Sarah. Sarah Lawrence College. Liberal Arts College. Let's see. Oh, was there a nude? Of- I mean, no, there's lots of women in this picture, but oh. let's see. Originally a women's college, oh, okay. but became co-educational in 1968. 1968. Where so, was Steiner? Yeah, so it was uh, 49 years into its infancy. <laughs> um, it would be weird to say, if you're a guy, I could see it would be hard to go like, I played football for Sarah Lawrence. I know, it doesn't but sound- I want. Them too. I want them to too, but I'm also sympathetic <laughs> to those who are like a starting quarterback. Where Sarah Lawrence? You don't have to be sympathetic. They chose it. You think they didn't? I don't know. <laughs> it's not like saying it's you a liberal arts college. You I played mean, at they, Notre Dame. They probably don't have a football team. Oh, okay. Let's hope not. <laughs> okay. Right, let's hope so. Let's hope so. What parish in Louisiana is Steven Seagal a sheriff in? Oh boy, this whole thing oh gosh, is did nuts. we find out if he? Oh, please tell me. Did, is he friends with uh, Putin? Look, okay. there were so many claims about him. Yeah. I only care about one, really, if he's living in Russia. Well, with, hold on. Okay. First, let's start. First things first, okay? All right. Jefferson Parish, Louisiana. Because it was a show, Steven Seagal Lawman. Mm-hmm. Reality TV show, Jefferson Parish for two decades. 20 years. I've been working as an officer in Jefferson, in Jefferson Parish for two decades under most people's radar. And this is how it sounded. That was in the um, the VO at the beginning. He's like, I've been a sheriff down in Jefferson Parish for two decades oh, God. under anyone's radar. Oh. Okay. That's what he said <laughs> in the intro. Okay. <laughs> um, Do you know why I stopped you tonight? Okay. People are like, oh, my God, Steven said, no, let's not talk about that. Do you know why I stopped you tonight? They recognized him? Of course. Really? I would never recognize him. Oh, yeah. I would in one second. <laughs> and it'd be so weird if I was drunk. And the officer that came up to the car was like, do you know why I stopped you tonight? Yeah, he kind of just like throws everything away. Oh. Do you know why I pulled you over this evening? You oh. were swerving about like you've been drinking. And unlike my first film, Above the Law, you are not above the law. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to ask you to get out so I can conduct a field sobriety test. You're over it. <laughs> you never know. We could have found something really good. I know, but. Like 10 minutes down. And then you could cut out the annoying eight minutes. Oh, that's not fun <laughs> for me. No. <laughs> okay. Is he a citizen of Russia? Mm. Seagal holds citizenships in three countries. Oh, wow. The United States, Serbia, Ooh. and Russia. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is he up to? <laughs> There is an NPR article about how him and Vladimir became BFFs. Oh, there so is? is okay. Oh, my gosh. Bob Van Ronkel introduced them. Bob Von Ronkel? Who's yeah. he? Uh, operative out of East Berlin? 
I don't know. They said he's the Forrest Gump of U.S.-Russia relations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what that means. But. Wait, is Seagal is or? No, Bob Von Ronkel is. Oh, okay. Von Ronkel. Maybe I should give them a call. I want to go to the Russian Grand Prix and I want to be a guest of like Putin or somebody. I want to stay in the palace and get peed on and things. Okay. So he also, does he have a dojo in Japan? He began his adult life as a martial arts instructor in Japan, becoming the first foreigner to operate in there it is. a dojo in the country. That's the claim. Wow. First foreigner. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how substantiated We talked about is, him though. so long and so much. Yeah, he's so fascinating. Okay, how many Emmys has uh, Juliana been nominated for? Three. She, way more than that. Seven. One, two, three. Oh, I forgot four, about the good one. Five, ones. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten. Ten and one three times. Good. Thirty yeah, percent. That's not that's great. A, that's great. For a reward show. Yes. Yeah, that's great. But she has been nominated ten more times than me and nine more times than you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and she's won three more times than me and three more times than you. Infinite, because even three times zero is not three times zero. Ew. Yeah, it's hard to even figure I out. I don't like that. I know. Okay. Well, that's it. Mm. That's it. That was the whole kit and caboodle. Oh! Uh-oh. What <laughs> fuck? Pop out? Something just jump off your computer screen? Look at this! Wait, 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 wait. Oh, wow. What a new picture. Wait, there's... If look, you, I wonder if he dyes oh. his beard. What? No, look at his eyes. Wait, what's happened? Oh, it's glasses. Yeah, he's got yellow glasses on. Did you think he was jaundice? I didn't know. Oh, yeah, you were worried did. about his kidneys. Yeah, I thought that okay. was his face. Oh, no, those are gla- tinted glasses. But there's other things to be concerned about in that photo. You know, I have a problem with this a lot, I've realized. What? I mean, maybe it's just because my eyes aren't that good. They're not great. <laughs> but, okay, well, this is what happened, guys. So Steven Seagal's page was up. Uh-huh. But I didn't look at the picture this whole time. And now I just saw the picture and I got a big, big, big pop out. Yeah. Because he's wearing tinted glasses that are kind of like on like, in shape. Yeah, but they're like low Inset, on his face. Below a little the bit. eyebrow. Exactly. And I thought the bottom half of his eyes were orange half moons. Right. And it looks horrible. Now, I've had this experience many times where I'm looking at a picture and I can't see the truth. Oh my god. Like it takes a second. Like every for magic. picture for you is a magic yes, eye. Yes. Oh, that's Yeah, like I was looking at my my friend Zoe. She had a picture on Instagram and she was holding one of her children's hands and her other child was next to her. And the other child was missing an arm. Oh, and you hadn't heard about that. But it was, I was like, oh, she colored out his arm. Why? I wonder what was on his arm. Oh. So it went from he didn't have one to, oh, no, she colored Well, like, I'm looking it. at the picture, and I'm like, oh, there's no arm connected to that child. Right. Obviously, he has an arm. So she must have erased it from the picture. Oh. But why? Like, was there something Uns- on it? Unsightly pimple or eczema, grayscale. I didn't know. I was yeah. worried. And it took like three minutes before I saw he did have an arm. He was just wearing a black shirt and it was blending into the black background. Oh, okay. And it was there the whole time. The whole time he had an arm. That's, that sounds exciting to me. No, it's a lot of t- time wasted. I know you so well that I know when you're confused. I know like your voice is, you have such a specific register when you're confused. I know it really, really well. What is it? I can't do it. I just know when you're, you're like, "Uh uh-huh. 
You have like an aha uh-huh that I'm like, oh, she doesn't, she's, she doesn't, she's confused right now. Are you sure that I'm confused or that I just don't want to engage in the conversation? No, there's, all of us have some concepts we don't get immediately. Uh, of course. Yeah, you, and you're not excluded. And when those times happen, I know it, like the second it's happening. It's very arrogant to say. Oh. But it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Telling the truth can't be arrogant. Well, it's arrogant to say, I always know when you're confused. Because I'm saying, what if in those moments? Well, and they're the, definitely. You're probably confused. I'm probably I'm missing right now. many times that you're confused. But <laughs> you do have a uh-huh that I know immediately you're confused. Okay. Yeah. Can you provide an example? Just now did it happen? What brain made you think? No, that? it's happened like, like say when David's giving us a conspiracy and he's explaining like one of the theories, mm-hmm. and you're like, uh huh. Well, almost like what just, I just did? Uh, almost. But see, I understood you then. I know it's not that, but you're like, uh huh, <laughs> uh huh, and then I'll go, no, no, like everyone's code. There's no human body anywhere, and you go, oh, like I, I just know the uh huh. Okay, you're you're. Are you feeling attacked? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I haven't okay. decided. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jury's out. <laughs> Anywho, I regret telling you I know. I should have just kept that under my lid. Probably. It's a sign for me to slow down and connect with you and make sure that you know what I'm saying. I don't know why I am feeling offended by this. I know. I don't know why either. But Well, I think because there's an insinuation that I'm confused a lot. No, and I that never. You have I, the answer to explain it. I never made a claim on frequency. I only said I know when you there, you have an uh, uh huh that to me is very clear. You're I can see the wheels turning, like when you were looking at the picture, and you're like, right. "Where's the?" Arm? Well, I was definitely confused about the picture. Yeah, it's okay to be confused. I know that everyone's confused. I'm confused all the time. Right, but when you're confused, I don't think I. I would want you to notice and help me. Like <laughs> quite often you and Kristen are talking about something and I've missed some vital piece of the Puzzle. setup uh-huh. and I'm struggling. Like what What oh. are they referencing? And if you detected in that in me and you go, oh, we're talking about the time Mike came over and did blank, mm. uh, that's a, a kindness. Okay. Yeah. All right. I have one more fact I just saw. Oh, great. It's kind of a fact. So we talked about you were dipping in this episode. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then we had a whole conversation about that. Remember, she had a friend who came over to spit at the dinner table. Spit at the dinner yeah. table. Yeah. And then you said, actually, you think maybe it is attractive. Oh, in some perverse way. Right. Because if you saw a girl mm-hmm. who was dipping, you'd be like, that girl doesn't give a fuck and that's attractive, which I get. It, it imbues confidence somehow. I see that. And I think in some cases, sure, could be the case, is the case. But also, if if I saw a, a someone dude. dipping, yeah, how do I do this without getting in trouble? If I saw a girl dipping, okay, well, well let me make it a attractive guy. No, it's not the same. Okay, because because what's giving off oh, is I, I don't I give a, a fuck, but I actually read it as I'm insecure and I want to be like the guys. See, I, I was just gonna guess that that might be your assumption. That is my feeling. But that's a little anti-feminist of you to assume that, that they're doing it to be one of the guys and not just pursuing their dreams of lip cancer. 
Well, it may, it may be not to be one of the guys, but to be cool. Uh-huh. Like not, I want to do this because I love it. Like I want to do this because it's cool. But can I say this is how there's a slight difference between dipping and smoking for me. Mm-hmm. If I saw a girl smoking, I don't think that's cool. Right. Because it's not so unattractive. There, dipping is so unattractive. You have a cud in your mouth and you're fucking spitting in front of everyone into a <laughs> cup that you carry around. It is abjectly <laughs> disgusting. Uh-huh. You can look sexy smoking. So it's not like yeah. it, there's no bravery there. Like, right. You know if you're dipping in public, like 98% of the people are going to find it disgusting. Yeah. And so there is a major confidence or just addict, you're so addicted you don't give a fuck that everyone's put off by it. Yeah. You know, I don't ha- I don't think anyone thinks it's attractive that I dip. I think everyone thinks it's unattractive. But I have been around a popular actress that was disgusted by it and I didn't give a fuck that she was disgusted and then I think that was a little bit of a ping. Yeah, I get that. Like, when you say, I don't give a fuck if you think I'm gross, what you're basically saying is, I don't care if you're attracted to me. And anytime someone thinks subconsciously that the other person doesn't care if they're attracted to them, some weird voodoo happens in your head. It's interesting. Something bizarre goes on. More than just seeing someone smoke. Like, there's just a lot more to it. Yeah. I don't like it. (laughs) I I know. It's not to be liked. Yeah, well, it causes cancer. If it didn't, I wouldn't care. Yeah. I mean, I'd still be like... Yeah, Gross. it's not the cutest, but, yeah. it's, but it's fine. But it causes mouth cancer mm-hmm. and tongue cancer. And sometimes you got to get your tongue cut out. I couldn't live without a tongue because I just live to talk. Yeah, you're putting, yeah. Yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> you're bad. <laughs> okay, that's all. All right, I love you. Love you. 